Chapter Twenty of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Twenty. Head sick and heart sick. Mr. Van Brunt flung open the door, and the two wet and weary travellers stepped after him into the same cheerful, comfortable-looking kitchen that had received Ellen once before. Just the same, tidy, clean-swept up, a good fire, and the same old red-backed chairs standing round on the hearth in most cosy fashion. It seemed to Ellen a perfect storehouse of comfort. The very walls had a kind face for her. There were no other faces, however. The chairs were all empty. Mr. Van Brunt put Alice in one, and Ellen in another, and shouted, "'Mother, here!' muttering that she had taken herself off with a light somewhere. Not very far, for in half a minute, answering the call, Mrs. Van Brunt and the light came hurriedly in. "'What's the matter, Brom? Who's this? Why, tain't Miss Alice! My gracious me, and all wet! Oh, dear, dear, poor lamb! Why, Miss Alice, dear, where have you been? And if that ain't my little Ellen!' "'Oh, dear, what a fix you are in! "'Well, darling, I'm glad to see you again almost anyway.' She crossed over to kiss Ellen as she said this, but surprise was not more quickly alive than kindness and hospitality. She fell to work immediately to remove Alice's wet things, and to do whatever their joint prudence and experience might suggest to ward off any ill effects from the fatigue and exposure the wanderers had suffered. And while she was thus employed, Mr. Van Brunt busied himself with Ellen, who was really in no condition to help herself. It was curious to see him carefully taking off Ellen's wet hood, not the blue one, and knocking it gently to get rid of the snow, evidently thinking that ladies' things must have delicate handling. He tried the cloak-necks, but boggled sadly at the fastening of that, and at last was fain to call in help. "'Here, Nancy, where are you? Step here and see if you can undo this here thing, whatever you call it. I believe my fingers are too big for it.' It was Ellen's former acquaintance who came forward in obedience to this call. Ellen had not seen before that she was in the room. Nancy grinned a mischievous smile of recognition as she stooped to Ellen's throat and undid the fastening of the cloak, and then shortly enough bade her get up that she might take it off. Ellen obeyed, but was very glad to sit down again. While Nancy went to the door to shake the cloak, Mr. Van Brunt was gently pulling off Ellen's wet gloves, and on Nancy's return he directed her to take off the shoes, which were filled with snow. Nancy sat down on the floor before Ellen to obey this order, and, tired and exhausted as she was, Ellen felt the different manner in which her hands and feet were waited upon. "'How did you get into this scrape?' said Nancy. "'This was none of my doings, anyhow. It'll never be dry weather, Ellen, where you are.' I won't put on my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes when I go a-walking with you. You had ought to have been a duck or a goose, or something like that. What's that for, Mr. Van Brunt? This last query, pretty sharply spoken, was an answer to a light touch of that gentleman's hand upon Miss Nancy's ear, which came rather as a surprise. He deigned no reply. You're a fine gentleman, said Nancy, tartly. Have you done what I gave you to do, said Mr. Van Brunt, coolly? Yes, there, said Nancy, holding up Ellen's bare feet on one hand, while the fingers of the other, secretly applied in ticklish fashion to the soles of them, caused Ellen suddenly to start and scream. Get up, said Mr. Van Brunt. Nancy didn't think best to disobey. Mother, han't you got nothing you want Nancy to do? Sally, said Mrs. Van Brunt, you and Nancy go and fetch here a couple of pails of hot water, right away. 
"'Go, and mind what you are about,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'And after that keep out of this room, and don't whisper again till I give you leave. "'Now, Miss Ellen, dear, how do you feel?' Ellen said in words that she felt nicely, but the eyes and the smile said a great deal more. Ellen's heart was running over. "'Oh, she'll feel nicely directly, I'll be bound,' said Mrs. Van Brunt. "'Wait till she get her feet soaked, and then—' "'I do feel nicely now,' said Ellen. And Alice smiled in answer to their inquiries, and said if she only knew her father was easy, there would be nothing wanting to her happiness. The bathing of their feet was a great refreshment, and their kind hostess had got ready a plentiful supply of hot herb tea, with which both Alice and Ellen were well dosed. While they sat sipping this, toasting their feet before the fire, Mrs. Van Brunt and the girls meanwhile preparing their room, Mr. Van Brunt suddenly entered. He was cloaked and hatted, and had a riding-whip in his hand. "'Is there any word you'd like to get home, Miss Alice? I'm going to ride a good piece that way, and I can stop as good as not.' "'To-night, Mr. Van Brunt!' exclaimed Alice, in astonishment. Mr. Van Brunt's silence seemed to say that to-night was the time, and no other. "'But the storm is too bad,' urged Alice. "'Pray don't go till to-morrow.' "'Pray don't, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Ellen. "'Can't help it. I've got business. Must go. What shall I say, ma'am?' "'I should be very glad,' said Alice, "'to have my father know where I am. "'Are you going very near the nose?' "'Very near. "'Then I shall be greatly obliged "'if you will be so kind as to stop "'and relieve my father's anxiety. "'But how can you go in such weather, "'and so dark as it is?' "'Never fear,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'We'll be back in half an hour, "'if Brom and me don't come across "'a snowdrift a little too deep. "'Good night, ma'am.' "'And out he went. "'Back in a half hour,' said Alice, musing. "'Why, he said he had been to untie his horse for the night. "'He must be going on our account, I am sure, Ellen.' "'On your account,' said Ellen, smiling. "'Oh, I knew that all the time, Miss Alice. "'I don't think he'll stop to relieve Aunt Fortune's anxiety.' "'Alice sprang to call him back, "'but Mrs. Van Brunt assured her it was too late, "'and that she need not be uneasy. "'For her son didn't mind the storm no more than a weatherboard. "'Brahm and Brahm could go anywhere in any sort of a time. "'He was a-going without speaking to you.' "'but I told him he had better, "'for maybe you wanted to send some word particular. "'And your room's ready now, dear, "'and you'd better go to bed, "'and sleep as long as you can.' "'They went, thankfully. "'Isn't this a pleasant room?' said Ellen, "'who saw everything in rose color, "'and a nice bed. "'But I feel as if I could sleep on the floor to-night. "'Isn't it almost worth while to have such a time, Miss Alice, "'for the sake of the pleasure afterwards?' "'I don't know, Ellen,' said Alice, smiling. "'I won't say that.' though it is worth paying a price for, to find out how much kindness there is in some people's hearts. As to sleeping on the floor, I must say I never felt less inclined to it. "'Well, I am tired enough, too,' said Ellen, as they laid themselves down. Two nights with you in a week. Oh, those weeks before I saw you, Miss Alice.' One earnest kiss for good-night, and Ellen's sigh of pleasure on touching the pillow was scarcely breathed when sleep, deep and sound, fell upon her eyelids. It was very late next morning when they awoke, having slept rather heavily than well. They crawled out of bed, feeling stiff and sore in every limb, each confessing to more evil effects from their adventure than she had been aware of the evening before. All the rubbing and bathing and drinking that Mrs. Van Brunt had administered had been too little to undo what wet and cold and fatigue had done. But Mrs. Van Brunt had set her breakfast-table with everything her house could furnish that was nice. A bountifully spread board it was— Mr. Humphreys was there, too, and no bad feelings of two of the party could prevent that from being a most cheerful and pleasant meal. 
Even Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Van Brunt, two persons not usually given to many words, came out wonderfully on this occasion, gratitude and pleasure in the one, and generous feeling on the part of the other, untied their tongues, and Ellen looked from one to the other in some amazement to see how agreeable they could be. Kindness and hospitality always kept Mrs. Van Brunt in full flow, and Alice, whenever she felt, exerted herself and supplied what was wanting everywhere, like the transparent glazing which painters used to spread over the dead color of their pictures. Unknown, it was she gave life and harmony to the whole, and Ellen, in her enjoyment of everything and everybody, forgot or despised aches and pains, and even whispered to Alice that coffee was making her well again. But happy breakfasts must come to an end, and so did this, prolonged though it was. Immediately after, the party, whom circumstances had gathered for the first, and probably the last time, scattered again. But the meeting had left pleasant effects on all minds. Mrs. Van Brunt was in general delight that she had entertained so many people she thought a great deal of, and particularly glad of the chance of showing her kind feelings towards two of the number. Mr. Humphreys remarked upon that very sensible, good-hearted man, Mr. Van Brunt, towards whom he felt himself under great obligation. Mr. Van Brunt said, The minister weren't such a grum man as people called him, and moreover said, It was a good thing to have an education, and he had a notion to read more. As for Alice and Ellen, they went away full of kind feeling for every one, and much love to each other. This was true of them before, but their late troubles had drawn them closer together, and given them fresh occasion to value their friends. Mr. Humphreys had brought the little one-horse sleigh for his daughter, and soon after breakfast Ellen saw it drive off with her. Mr. Van Brunt then harnessed his own, and carried Ellen home. Ill though she felt, the poor child made an effort, and spent part of the morning in finishing the long letter to her mother, which had been on the stocks since Monday. The effort became painful towards the last, and the aching limbs and trembling hand of which she complained were the first beginnings of a serious fit of illness. She went to bed that same afternoon, and did not leave it again for two weeks. Cold had taken violent hold of her system, fever set in and ran high, and half the time little Ellen's wits were roving in delirium. Nothing, however, could be too much for Miss Fortune's energies. She was as much at home in a sick-room as in a well one. She flew about with increased agility, was upstairs and downstairs twenty times in the course of a day, and kept all straight everywhere. Ellen's room was always the picture of neatness, the fire, the wood-fire was taken care of. Miss Fortune seemed to know by instinct when it wanted a fresh supply, and to be on the spot by magic to give it. Ellen's medicines were dealt out in proper time. Her gruels and drinks perfectly well made and arranged, with appetizing nicety, on a little table by the bedside, where she could reach them herself, and Miss Fortune was generally at hand when she was wanted. But, in spite of all this, there was something missing in that sick-room. There was a great want, and whenever the delirium was upon her, Ellen made no secret of it. She was never violent, but she moaned, sometimes impatiently, and sometimes plaintively, for her mother. It was a vexation to Miss Fortune to hear her. The name of her mother was all the time on her lips. If by chance her aunt's name came in, it was spoken in a way that generally sent her bouncing out of the room. "'Mama, poor Ellen would say, just lay your hand on my forehead, will you? It's so hot. Oh, do, Mama, where are you? Do put your hand on my forehead, won't you? Oh, do speak to me. Why don't you, Mama? Oh, why don't she come to me?' Once, when Ellen was uneasily calling in this fashion for her mother's hand, Miss Fortune softly laid her own upon the child's brow, but the quick sudden jerk of the head from under it told her how well Ellen knew the one from the other, 
and little as she cared for Ellen, it was wormwood to her. Miss Fortune was not without offers of help during the sick time. Mrs. Van Brunt, and afterwards Mrs. Voss, asked leave to come and nurse Ellen, but Miss Fortune declared it was more plague than profit to her, and she couldn't be bothered with having strangers about. Mrs. Van Brunt, she suffered, much against her will, to come for a day or two. At the end of that, Miss Fortune found means to get rid of her civilly. Mrs. Voss she would not allow to stay an hour. The old lady got leave, however, to go up to the sick-room for a few minutes. Ellen, who was then in a high fever, informed her that her mother was downstairs, and her Aunt Fortune would not let her come up. She pleaded with tears that she might come, and entreated Mrs. Voss to take her aunt away, and send her mother. Mrs. Voss tried to soothe her. Miss Fortune grew impatient. "'What on earth's the use,' said she, "'of talking to a child that's out of her head? She can't hear reason. That's the way she gets into whenever the fever's on her. I have the pleasure of hearing that sort of thing all the time.' "'Come away, Mrs. Voss, and leave her. "'She can't be better any way than alone, "'and I am in the room every other thing. "'She's just as well quiet. "'Nobody knows,' said Miss Fortune, on her way downstairs. "'Nobody knows the blessings of taking care of other people's children "'that hadn't tried it. "'I've tried it to my heart's content.' "'Mrs. Voss sighed, but departed in silence. "'It was not when the fever was on her and the delirium high "'that Ellen most felt the want she then so pitifully made known. "'There were other times.' When her head was aching, and weary and weak, she lay still there. Oh, how she longed then for the dear wanted face, the old quiet smile that carried so much of comfort and assurance with it, the voice that was like heaven's music, the touch of that loved hand to which she had clung for so many years. She could scarcely bear to think of it sometimes. In the still, wakeful hours of night, when the only sound to be heard was the heavy breathing of her aunt asleep on the floor by her side, and in the long, solitary day, when the only variety to be looked for was misfortunes flitting in and out, and there came to be a sameness about that, Ellen mourned her loss bitterly. Many and many were the silent tears that rolled down and wet her pillow. Many a long-drawn sigh came from the very bottom of Ellen's heart. She was too weak and subdued now for violent weeping. She wondered sadly why Alice did not come to see her. It was another great grief added to the former. She never chose, however, to mention her name to her aunt. She kept her wonder and her sorrow to herself, all the harder to bear for that. After two weeks Ellen began to mend, and then she became exceedingly weary of being alone and shut up to her room. It was a pleasure to have her Bible and hymn-book lying upon the bed, and a great comfort when she was able to look at a few words. But that was not very often— and she longed to see somebody, and hear something beside her aunt's dry questions and answers. One afternoon Ellen was sitting, alone as usual, bolstered up in bed. Her little hymn-book was clasped in her hand. Though not equal to reading, she felt the touch of it a solace to her. Half dozing, half waking, she had been perfectly quiet for some time, when the sudden and not very gentle opening of the room door caused her to start and open her eyes. They opened wider than usual for, instead of her Aunt Fortune, it was the figure of Miss Nancy Voss that presented itself. She came in briskly, and, shutting the door behind her, advanced to the bedside. "'Well,' she said, "'there you are. Why, you look smart enough. I've come to see you.' "'Have you?' said Ellen, uneasily. "'Miss Fortune's gone out, and she told me to come and take care of you, so I'm a-going to spend the afternoon.' "'Are you?' said Ellen again. "'Yes. Ain't you glad? I knew you must be lonely, so I thought I'd come.' There was a mischievous twinkle in Nancy's eyes. Ellen, for once in her life, wished for her aunt's presence. "'What are you doing?' "'Nothing,' said Ellen. 
"'Nothing, indeed. It's a fine thing to lie there and do nothing. You won't get well in a hurry, I guess, will you? You look as well as I do this minute. Oh, I always knew you was a sham.' "'You are very much mistaken,' said Ellen, indignantly. "'I have been very sick, and I am not at all well yet.' "'Fiddle-dee-dee. It's very nice to think so. I guess you're lazy. How soft and good those pillows do look, to be sure.' "'Come, Ellen, try getting up a little. "'I believe you hurt yourself with sleeping. "'It'll do you good to be out of bed a while. "'Come, get up.' "'She pulled Ellen's arm as she spoke. "'Stop, Nancy, let me alone,' cried Ellen, "'struggling with all her force. "'I mustn't, I can't, I mustn't get up. "'What do you mean? "'I am not able to sit up at all. "'Let me go.' "'She succeeded in freeing herself from Nancy's grasp. "'Well, you're an obstinate piece,' said the other. "'Have your own way. "'But mind, I'm left in charge of you.' "'Is it time for you to take your physic?' "'I'm not taking any,' said Ellen. "'What are you taking?' "'Nothing but gruel and little things.' "'Gruel and little things. "'Little things mean something good, I suppose. "'Well, is it time for you to take your gruel or one of the little things?' "'No, I don't want any.' "'Oh, that's nothing. "'People never know what's good for them. "'I'm your nurse now, and I'm going to give it to you when I think you want it. "'Let me feel your pulse. "'Yes, your pulse says gruel is wanting. "'I shall put some down to warm right away.' "'I shan't take it,' said Ellen.' "'That's a likely story. You'd better not say so. "'I rather suppose you will if I give it to you. "'Look here, Ellen. You'd better mind how you behave. "'You're going to do just what I tell you. "'I know how to manage you. "'If you make any fuss, I shall just tickle you finely,' said Nancy, "'as she prepared a bed of coals and set the cup of gruel on it to get hot. "'I'll do it in no time at all, my young lady, so you'd better mind.' "'Poor Ellen involuntarily curled up her feet under the bedclothes, "'so as to get them as far as possible out of harm's way.' She judged the best thing was to keep quiet if she could, so she said nothing. Nancy was in great glee, with something of the same spirit of mischief that a cat shows when she has captured a mouse at the end of her paws. While the gruel was heating, she spun round the room in quest of amusement, and her sudden jerks and flings from one place and thing to another had so much of lawlessness that Ellen was in perpetual terror as to what she might take into her head to do next. "'Where does that door lead to?' "'I believe that one leads to the garret,' said Ellen. "'You believe so? Why don't you say it does at once?' "'I haven't been up to see.' "'You haven't? You expect me to believe that, I suppose. "'I'm not quite such a gull as you take me for. What's up there?' "'I don't know, of course.' "'Of course. I declare I don't know what you are up to exactly. "'But if you won't tell me, I'll find out for myself pretty quick. That's one thing.' She flung open the door and ran up, and Ellen heard her feet trampling overhead from one end of the house to the other, and sounds, too, of pushing and pulling things over the floor. It was plain Nancy was rummaging. Well, said Ellen, as she turned uneasily upon her bed, it's no affair of mine. I can't help it, whatever she does. But, oh, won't Aunt Fortune be angry? Nancy presently came down with her frock gathered up into a bag before her. What do you think I have got here? said she. "'I suppose you didn't know there was a basket of fine hickory-nuts up there in the corner. "'Was it you or Miss Fortune that hid them away so nicely? "'I suppose she thought nobody would ever think of looking behind that great blue chest and under the feather-bed. "'But it takes me. "'Miss Fortune was afraid of your stealing em, I guess, Ellen.' "'She needn't have been,' said Ellen indignantly. "'No, I suppose you wouldn't take em if you saw em. "'You wouldn't eat em if they were cracked for you, would you?' "'She flung some on Ellen's bed as she spoke.' Nancy had seated herself on the floor, and using for a hammer a piece of old iron she had brought down with her from the garret, she was cracking the nuts on the clean white hearth. "'Indeed I wouldn't,' said Ellen, throwing them back. "'And you oughtn't to crack them there, Nancy. You'll make a dreadful mess.' 
what do you think i care said the other scornfully she leisurely cracked and ate as many as she pleased of the nuts bestowing the rest in the bosom of her frock ellen watched fearfully for her next move if she should open the little door and get among her books and boxes nancy's first care however was the cup of gruel it was found too hot for any mortal lips to bear so it was set on one side to cool then taking up her rambling examination of the room she went from window to window what fine big windows one might get in here easy enough i declare ellen some night i'll set the ladder up against here and the first thing you'll see will be me coming in you'll have me to sleep with before you think i'll fasten my window said ellen no you won't you'll do it a night or two maybe but then you'll forget it i shall find them open when i come oh well come but i could call aunt fortune said ellen no you couldn't cause if you spoke a word i'd tickle you to death that's what i'd do i know how to fix you off and if you did call her i'd just whap out of the window and run off with my ladder and then you'd get a fine combing for disturbing the house what's in this trunk only my clothes and things said ellen oh goody that's fine now i'll have a look at em that's just what i wanted only i didn't know it where's the key oh here it is sticking in that's good oh please don't said ellen raising herself on her elbow they're all in nice order and you'll get them all in confusion oh do let them alone you'd best be quiet or i'll come and see you said nancy i'm just going to look at everything in it and if i find anything out of sorts you'll get it what's this ruffles i declare ain't you fine i'll see how they look on me what a plague you haven't a glass in the room never mind i'm used to dressing without a glass oh i wish you wouldn't said ellen who was worried to the last degree at seeing her nicely done-up ruffles round nancy's neck they're so nice and you'll must them all up don't cry about it said nancy coolly i ain't a-going to eat em my goodness what a fine hood ain't that pretty the nice blue hood was turning about in nancy's fingers and well looked at inside and out ellen was in distress for fear it would go on nancy's head as well as the ruffles round her neck but it didn't she flung it at length on one side and went on pulling out one thing after another strewing them very carelessly about the floor what's here a pair of dirty stockings as i'm alive ain't you ashamed to put dirty stockings in your trunk they are no such thing said ellen who in her vexation was in danger of forgetting her fear i've worn them but once they've no business in here anyhow said nancy rolling them up in a hard ball and giving them a sudden fling at ellen they just missed her face and struck the wall beyond ellen seized them to throw back but her weakness warned her that she was not able and a moment reminded her of the folly of doing anything to rouse nancy who for the present was pretty quiet ellen lay upon her pillow and looked on ready to cry with vexation all her nicely stowed piles of white clothes were ruthlessly hurled out and tumbled about her capes tried on her summer dresses unfolded displayed criticized nancy decided one was too short another very ugly a third horribly ill-made and when she had done with each it was cast out of her way on one side or the other as the case may be the floor was littered with clothes in various states of disarrangement and confusion the bottom of the trunk was reached at last and then nancy suddenly recollected her gruel and sprang to it but it had grown cold again this won't do said nancy as she put it on the coals again it must be just right it'll warm soon and then miss ellen you're a-going to take it whether or no i hope you won't give me the pleasure of pouring it down meanwhile she opened the little door of ellen's study closet and went in there though ellen begged her not she pulled the door to and stayed some time perfectly quiet not able to see or hear what she was doing 
and fretted beyond measure that her workbox and writing-desk should be at Nancy's mercy, or even feel the touch of her fingers, Ellen could at last stand it no longer, but threw herself out of the bed, weak as she was, and went to see what was going on. Nancy was seated quietly on the floor examining, with much interest, the contents of the workbox, trying on the thimble, cutting bits of thread with the scissors, and marking the ends of the spools, with whatever like pieces of mischief her restless spirit could devise. But when Ellen opened the door, she put the box from her and started up. "'My goodness me,' said she, "'this'll never do. What are you out here for? You'll catch your death with those dear little bare feet, and we shall have the mischief to pay.' As she said this, she caught up Ellen in her arms as if she had been a baby, and carried her back to the bed, where she laid her with two or three little shakes, and then proceeded to spread up the clothes and tuck her in all round. She then ran for the gruel. Ellen was in great question whether to give way to tears or vexation, but with some difficulty determined upon vexation as the best plan. Nancy prepared the gruel to her liking, and brought it to the bedside, but to get it swallowed was another matter. Nancy was resolved Ellen should take it. Ellen had less strength, but quite as much obstinacy as her enemy, and she was equally resolved not to drink a drop. Between laughing on Nancy's part, and very serious anger on Ellen's, a struggle ensued. Nancy tried to force it down, but Ellen's shut teeth were as firm as a vice, and the end was that two-thirds were bestowed on the sheet. Ellen burst into tears. Nancy laughed. "'Well, I do think,' said she, "'you are one of the hardest customers I ever came across. I shouldn't want to have the managing of you when you get a little bigger. Oh, the way Miss Fortune will look when she comes in here will be a caution. Oh, what fun!' Nancy shouted and clapped her hands. "'Come, stop crying,' said she. "'What a baby you are!' "'What are you crying for? Come, stop. I'll make you laugh if you don't.' Two or three little applications of Nancy's fingers made her words good, but laughing was mixed with crying, and Ellen writhed in hysterics. Just then came a little knock at the door. Ellen did not hear it, but it quieted Nancy. She stood still a moment, and then, as the knock was repeated, she called out boldly, "'Come in!' Ellen raised her head, to see who there might be, and great was the surprise of both, and the joy of one— as the tall form and broad shoulders of Mr. Van Brunt presented themselves. "'Oh, Mr. Van Brunt,' sobbed Ellen, "'I am so glad to see you. Won't you please send Nancy away?' "'What are you doing here?' said the astonished Dutchman. "'Look and see, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Nancy, with a smile of mischief's own curling. "'You won't be long finding out, I guess. "'Take yourself off, and don't let me hear of you being caught here again.' "'I'll go when I'm ready, thank you,' said Nancy. "'And as to the rest, I haven't been caught the first time yet. "'I don't know what you mean.' She sprang as she finished her sentence, for Mr. Van Brunt made a sudden movement to catch her then and there. He was foiled, and then began a running chase round the room, in the course of which Nancy dodged, pushed, and sprang, with a power of squeezing by impassables and overleaping impossibilities, that, to say the least of it, was remarkable. The room was too small for her, and she was caught at last. "'I vow,' said Mr. Van Brunt, as he pinned her hands, "'I should like to see you play blind man's bluff for once, if I weren't the blind man.' "'How'd you see me if you was?' said Nancy, scornfully. "'Now, Miss Ellen,' said Mr. Van Brunt, as he brought her to Ellen's bedside, "'here she is safe. What shall I do with her?' "'If you will only send her away, and not let her come back, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Ellen, "'I'll be so much obliged to you.' "'Let me go,' said Nancy. "'I declare you're a real mean Dutchman, Mr. Van Brunt.' He took both her hands in one, and laid the other lightly over her ears. "'I'll let you go,' said he. "'Now don't you be caught here again, if you know what is good for yourself.' He saw Miss Nancy out of the door, and then came back to Ellen, who was crying heartily again from nervous vexation. "'She's gone,' said he. 
"'What has that wicked thing been doing, Miss Ellen? "'What's the matter with you?' "'Oh, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Ellen, "'you can't think how she has worried me. "'She has been here this great while. "'Just look at all my things on the floor, "'and that isn't the half.' Mr. Van Brunt gave a long whistle, as his eyes surveyed the tokens of Miss Nancy's mischief-making, over and through which both she and himself had been chasing at full speed, making the state of matters rather worse than it was before. "'I do say,' said he slowly, "'that is too bad. I'd fix them up again for you, Miss Ellen, if I knew how. But my hands are almost as clumsy as my feet, and I see the marks of them there. It's too bad, I declare. I didn't know what I was going on.' "'Never mind, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Ellen. I don't mind what you have done a bit. I am so glad to see you. She put out her little hand to him as she spoke. He took it in his own silently. But, though he said and showed nothing of it, Ellen's look and tone of affection thrilled his heart with pleasure. How do you do? he said kindly. I'm a great deal better, said Ellen. Sit down, won't you, Mr. Van Brunt? I want to see you a little. Horses wouldn't have drawn him away after that. He sat down. Ain't you going to be up again some of these days? said he. "'Oh, yes, I hope so,' said Ellen, sighing. "'I am very tired of lying here.' He looked round the room, got up and mended the fire, then came and sat down again. "'I was up yesterday for a minute,' said Ellen, "'but the chair tired me so. I was glad to get back to bed again.' It was no wonder. Harder and straighter-backed chairs never were invented. Probably Mr. Van Brunt thought so. "'Wouldn't you like to have a rocking cheer?' said he, suddenly, as if a bright thought had struck him. "'Oh, yes, how much I should,' said Ellen with another long-drawn breath. But there isn't such a thing in the house that ever I saw. Ay, but there is in other houses, though, said Mr. Van Brunt, with as near an approach to a smile as his lips commonly made. We'll see. Ellen smiled more broadly. But don't you give yourself any trouble for me, said she. Trouble indeed, said Mr. Van Brunt. I don't know anything about that. How came that wicked thing up here to plague you? She said Aunt Fortune left her to take care of me. "'That's one of her lies. Your aunt's gone out, I know. But she's a trifle wiser than to do such a thing as that. She has plagued you badly, hadn't she?' He might have thought so. The color which excitement brought into Ellen's face had faded away, and she had settled herself back against her pillow, with an expression of weakness and weariness that the strong man saw and felt. "'What is there I can do for you?' said he, with a gentleness that seemed almost strange from such lips." "'If you would,' said Ellen faintly, "'if you could be so kind as to read me a hymn, I should be so glad. I've had nobody to read to me.' Her hand put the little book towards him as she said so. Mr. Van Brunt would vastly rather anyone had asked him to plough an acre. He was to the full as much confounded as poor Ellen had once been at a request of his. He hesitated and looked towards Ellen, wishing for an excuse. But the pale little face that lay there against the pillow— the drooping eyelids, the meek, helpless look of the little child, put all excuses out of his head, and though he would have chosen to do almost anything else, he took the book and asked her where. She said anywhere, and he took the first he saw. Poor, weak, and worthless though I am, I have a rich, almighty friend. Jesus the Saviour is his name. He freely loves, and without end. Oh, said Ellen, with a sigh of pleasure, and folding her hands on her breast, how lovely that is! He stopped and looked at her a moment, and then went on with increased gravity. He ransomed me from hell with blood, and by his power my foes controlled. He found me wandering far from God, and brought me to his chosen fold. Fold, said Ellen, opening her eyes. What is that? It's where sheep are penned, ain't it? said Mr. Van Brunt, after a pause. Oh, yes, said Ellen. That's it, I remember. That's like what he said. I am the good shepherd. 
and the Lord is my shepherd. I know now. Go on, please. He finished the hymn with no more interruption. Looking again towards Ellen, he was surprised to see several large tears finding their way down her cheeks from under the wet eyelash, but she quickly wiped them away. "'What do you read them things for?' said he, if they make you feel bad. "'Feel bad?' said Ellen. "'Oh, they don't. They make me happy. I love them dearly. I never read that one before. You can't think how much I am obliged to you for reading it to me. Will you let me see where it is?' He gave it to her. "'Yes, there's his mark,' said Ellen, with sparkling eyes. "'Now, Mr. Van Brunt, would you be so very good as to read it once more?' He obeyed. It was easier this time. She listened, as before, with closed eyes, but the color came and went, once or twice. "'Thank you very much,' she said, when he had done. "'Are you going?' "'I must. I have some things to look after.' She held his hand still. "'Mr. Van Brunt, don't you love hymns?' "'I don't know much about him, Miss Ellen.' "'Mr. Van Brunt, are you one of that fold?' "'What fold?' "'The fold of Christ's people.' "'I'm afeard not, Miss Ellen,' said he soberly, after a minute's pause. "'Because,' said Ellen, bursting into tears, "'I wish you were, very much.' She carried the great brown hand to her lips before she let it go. He went out without saying a word. But when he got out, he stopped and looked at a little tear she had left on the back of it. And he looked till one of his own fell there to keep it company. End of chapter 20